Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. Our mission, if you ever hurt any of these kids around here, I don't care how much we love you right now, that love will turn to hate real fast if you're a pervert, okay? We train ourselves to hate perverts around here, and you will become the hated, and we will make it our mission to get you thrown in jail. And folks, I don't, I, 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 I don't know what I can do to just express how serious I am about that. Because if you are a pervert, we would love it if you left this church before you did anything. And go to some other church. Go to one of the trendiest church and give them a bad reputation. Don't go to our church. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast. A podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent, fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. And uh, this is the second time that I'm going to be responding to a uh, Tommy McMurtry sermon. And uh, the last one I kind of honestly did for myself because I was going to watch the sermon anyway and uh, ended up going live uh, doing a a two-hour reaction to it. I believe it was about that long and was surprised how many other people were interested in it. Um, there was a, a couple outlandish statements that were made throughout that. And some of those have been shared over to the preacher boys, Instagram, to Facebook, to Twitter, obviously in the full uh, response, but this is going to be a series for Tommy. So he's going to be spending like five or six weeks, uh, talking about confessing the sins of the IFB. Uh, he spent the majority of that talking about the sins of people who criticize the IFB, which is one of the things I thought was interesting and worth talking about. Um, but wanted to really just do a second one, go through the sermon, play it all in context. I told Tommy that's exactly what I wanted to do. He was game for it. And so uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I'm joined by Michael uh, McNeely. He is the the sheriff of the Preacher Boys discussion group and uh, kicks people out, lets people in, uh, makes my life a lot easier and uh, wanted to bring him in so I could have somebody to bounce off of, talk through this with and uh, get to get to dive into some craziness today. So what's up? <laughs> it'll be fun oh man i'm looking forward to it i did uh some homework last night on it uh so looking forward to uh, bouncing off some ideas and you know jumping on some uh discussions that i think would be 
helpful for people on both sides of the fence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Tommy's a, an interesting character, and I won't go into too much of a bio because I know people can go back and watch the watch the first one. But uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with who Tommy is, he is the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church uh, over in, uh, I want to say, I always forget the city that he is in. Uh, he's in Rock Falls, Illinois. And uh, he is an independent Baptist pastor, definitely has a lot of connections with the NI. Uh, the new IFB, like the Steven Anderson world, which is a whole, I mean, speaking to people on both sides of the fence. Uh, I don't even know if Anderson is anywhere near a fence. He's in his own little pasture somewhere else, um, <laughs> but he's got friends there. He's connected with people within the IFB. And so he kind of has his, uh, his attention split many different ways. And I mean, to his credit, I guess he's a little bit more independent in that sense and that he hangs out with both sides, but um when it comes and it's to funny, we're, we're, we're giving them credit for yeah. being independent when the first name of their title is independent fundamental Baptist. <laughs> right. Right. We're giving them credit for being independent. Yeah. It, he's an interesting guy. Like that's what I can say. And, and the reason that I'm actually considering, you know, talking about it and presenting what he's talking about is because unlike many within the IFB, I've seen Tommy admit faults within the movement and um, look, Tommy's got plenty of things where I think he's off his rocker on some of these topics and vice versa. He thinks there are for me as well and has told me face to face that that's the case. Um, but the reason that I'm, the reason that I'm willing to, you know, even play it out is because there's so many things where he's so close when it comes to the issue of abuse, but when it comes to identifying systems or processes or church culture that cultivates environments where abuse can happen, I just feel like he totally misses the mark. Um, so I'm not showing him and presenting him as an expert by any means. This is primarily a critique. Um, but I will say again, credit where credit's due. Um, he understands that this is an issue within a lot of independent Baptist churches. Um, I wish he would see the, sim- the, the root causes a little bit more. Um, but a lot of that is, is really entwined with IFB theology and the way that churches are structured and things like that. But Anyway, I can talk a lot or we can just jump in and start watching and uh, and kind of take it from here. If you have not watched the first one in the series, go back and watch it. Uh, it is pretty wild and uh, a lot more wild than this one is actually. And uh, But if you already have seen that, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. So I'm going to start it right at the beginning and, uh, and go from here. What's really funny is, I got to say this while I'm pulling this up is I messaged Tommy because he wasn't streaming on his normal channel when he released this. And I asked him, I was like, where's this going to play? And he's like, oh, it's going to play on our backup channel because we're blocked from doing live streams. YouTube flagged us. And I was like, I can't imagine why. Why on earth would they would they flag your YouTube channel? I can't believe it, Tommy. So uh, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and start it. I'm going to put it back on normal speed. We can go ahead and watch. All right. So 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're at. We're going to continue a series we started last week. Uh, one that really got the trendies, uh, made them split their skinny britches when they heard it. But uh, this one will probably succeed in now getting just more in the eye of V mad at me. So we're just going to see if we can't get everybody in the world to hate us. And, uh, and then as soon as we figure out somebody that likes us, we'll find something to make them mad too. And, you know, I'm not trying to make people mad, but sometimes, uh, you know, when you live in a world of sin and you preach against sin, 
you just make a few enemies along the way. And so we'll see what happens. We're just going to preach. I got to say, though, I got to call this. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. I got to say, though, for, right off the bat, is that it's, I mean, he should at least admit he does enjoy making people mad. Uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart, and I believe this is a very, very important subject. And folks, the I, I believe when it comes to what we're covering tonight, the IFV has a broken mindset on this. And I really want to make sure we get Agreed. our minds in the right place when it comes to this subject, because we cannot make this mistake. I cannot express how serious this is, but we're talking about cover-ups tonight. And that's one of the things that people talk about when they talk about the IFV, they like to talk about the cover-ups that have taken place over the years and sweeping things under the rug, uh, hiding abuse. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stories out there that are true. There's there's some bad ones too, but there's a lot of true stories that are out there. And I want to read this passage. We're going to be looking at a lot of examples here from 2 Samuel chapter 12 tonight. Uh, we looked at some of this last week, but I want to look a little closer at a few parts on here tonight. But notice in verse 9, this is after uh, David, he's being confronted by Nathan the prophet after his sin with Bathsheba. Says, wherefore. And again, I'm not going to park it here, but I just want to remind everybody. So the analogies that keep getting used are it's either comparing the IFB to Israel, God's chosen people, and there are wicked Babylonians, which is podcasters and trendy pastors that are going after the movement. But then he also uses the analogy interchangeably of David raping Bathsheba. And then Nathan coming and presenting a sin to him, Nathan being a prophet of God. So he's mixing two different analogies, one which positions people that do what I do or what the recovering fundamentalist or all the other people he names, what they do and comparing them to, you know, a prophet of God who's engaging somebody with their sin, but also using an example of wicked Babylonians coming in and enslaving a nation of righteous people. You can't use both examples. Like one of those ones has to fall by the side. I just wanted to refresh that as we get into this this example. This is what they are so good at and so slick at is they go to the Bible with a preconceived notion of what they want that interpretation to be. They go to it and they go, I could, I mean, if we're be honest, I could go to the Bible and I could draw parallels and examples that Tommy is, uh, you know, a, a wicked priest from, you know, a worldly uh, religious denomination from years gone by. It's all what I wanted to say. And that's the sad part of the IFB movement. And that's where they've gone uh, yeah. in large part is it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse over the years because they have a dogma that they're taught in Bible college, which I went to and was a part of. I have my, you know, four-year degree and, you know, part of a master's degree with it. And so it's it's one of these where it's very, you're given their dogma, you're given their interpretation and sold the bill of goods that this is exactly what the Bible says. This is exactly what these interpretations are. And these are, and then you are insulated from, uh, you know, anyone challenging you so that you go out into the real world and you get challenged on it and you're like, whoa, I never thought about it that way. There right. are more interpretations to that passage or that scripture than what I was told or what I was taught. Because they go to the Bible to substantiate their own personal opinions and then we're shocked when we, as we saw on that list, those are all his opinions. Yeah, I could point out a million different contradictions, but <laughs> despise the commandment of the Lord, 
to do evil in his sight. And also, killed- what a gift that I'm just tricking people into watching Tommy McMurtry sermons. <laughs> I was watching the last <laughs> live stream, and I was like, I'm just doing Tommy's work. I'm just promoting. We had like 2,000 yep. people watch his last sermon, which is which is uh, which is good good for Tommy. That Uriah the Hittite with yes. the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Now watch this. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now, let me ask you, does it look like God is in the business of covering up his servants when they mess up? David was God's king over God's people. He was a man after God's own heart. He was handpicked by God to be the king of Israel and David's sin that he committed. It says in verse 14, it says, how be it? Because by this deed, thou hast given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. This child that is born unto thee shall surely die. So God agrees with this idea that God's man doing something bad is going to cause people to blaspheme against God. But God didn't say, so you know what? We got to cover this up. No, God said, I'm going to, I'm going to nail you in front of the whole world. I'm going to put this thing out before the sun. Everybody's going to see what's going to happen to you, David. You know why? You're in trouble because you have given them an opportunity to blaspheme. When my man, when my king over my people is doing this kind of thing, it's going to make me look bad. And so, David, you are in trouble. And, and I'm telling you right now, one of the sins of our IFB forefathers, one of the mistakes, if you want to call it that, but I believe it's a serious sin, was this idea of thinking we've got to cover things up. We've got to protect the cause of Christ. We can't hurt the name of the church. We don't want to bring reproach on Christ. And so when something really, really bad happened, the goal has always been to keep it as quiet as possible. And folks, that has had devastating results. Now, let me just say. And up to this point, all good. (laughs) We're rocking along. All right, let's just give some of these people the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what? Their intentions were right. They didn't want to cause more embarrassment to the family. They didn't want to hurt the name of the church. They didn't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. But here's the problem. Because they did not deal with it the way the Bible teaches they should deal with it. You know what it's done? It's emboldened other perverts to do the same thing. You know, where if they would have dealt with it severely, maybe other perverts would say, you know what? I'm going to go find another church, you know, where they do cover these things up. I'm going to go join the Catholic church and become a Catholic priest. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something like that. Mm. But no, when they protected these people, they've ended up basically creating an environment where perverts don't need to be afraid. And that's not good, resulting in even more sin. And then not only that, because they did this thing thinking they were helping the cause, they end up getting busted because things are always going to come out. The truth's always going to come out. And then not only do they have perversion as a mark against them, but they have cover-ups as a mark against them. So it, it always makes things worse. And folks, if something happens here and it gets public, our church will go through a battle. It will be a difficult time but it will be worse. Let's get it over with. Let's deal with it now. Let's get it over with. 
The longer we wait, the more we put it off, the worse it's going to be. We cannot do this. And this is something where in the IFB world, amongst leadership in the IFB, this has been a failure. And so this, um, you know, and, and, I'm, and I don't want to repeat a lot of the things I repeated last week. But again, you know, this isn't about attacking the IFB. This isn't about just, you know, picking on certain people. This is just, it's, a, it's an error. Okay, and I'll give some of these people the benefit of the doubt and say they intended good, but you know what? They were wrong. And we and and I would echo all of this from my perspective, being someone who grew up in the IFB and is now outside of the movement, like I would say all the same things. This isn't about attacking the the everybody within the IFB at large. I think that the IFB itself, the movement and what it what it's rooted in has a lot of issues that need to be addressed and the movement itself is i think fundamentally flawed in in a lot of ways but i would say the same thing this isn't about going after every pastor it's not about going after every church and there are people that are well-intentioned who do really unhelpful things you know what i mean like that that conversation came up a lot with the with the john wilkerson statement you know people were asking who are in the IFB, do you think you just didn't say it because it might bring embarrassment to the family? Or do you think that, you know, all these different things. And it's like, if that was the intent and it wasn't just to cover up, it still wasn't helpful. <laughs> like what needs to happen is that if somebody who was a bus worker for many years or a Sunday school teacher for many years, if they have one victim, they likely have many more. So you need to be able to say their name, where they served, how long they served, who they were in contact with, and keep a door open where people can come forward. But again, Tommy's hitting the nail on the head with saying that you know within a lot of these churches, you have pastors, some poorly intentioned and some well-intentioned, who end up doing more damage than good by not addressing it head-on and going through the proper proper channels. Well, what's what's the saying? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions. Yeah. And I'll give you. I, we'll, we'll we'll just go with old time sayings here. Uh, you old know, past, in reference man. to the in reference to the pastors. Um, you know, the saying where you shoot a shot into a pack of hound dogs, and the one that's hit will howl. Well, the ones that are howling, you might want to take a look at why you're howling, because there's a lot of pastors out there that it's not even bothering. They're saying. Yeah, amen. You're right. They don't take it as a personal attack. If you're taking this sexual abuse, um, uh, you know, shining a light in sexual abuse in churches as something that is negative, you may want to take a good, long, hard look at the New Testament and uh, the actions of Jesus and rethink where you're at and why you're even a pastor. Because at that point, if you can't say, if you have to even hesitate, when someone says we need to eradicate all the sexual abuse in the church and you have to hesitate to see if that's even a good thing to do in your church, your intentions are way off and mm-hmm. you need to really take a long, hard look in the mirror. Cause there's a lot of pastors out there that don't care. They're, you know, now, uh, unfortunately it's private. They're not coming out and publicly saying it, but a lot of pastors behind the scenes and you and I have both gotten those messages are are absolutely 100% behind this uh, mm-hmm. movement. They don't take anything personally. And you know what? They may even disagree with, with some of the people that we have on. And, you know, we'll get to that down the road when he, you know, brings it up. But if, if, if you're taking offense to this and this hits close to home, you might want to explore why it hits close to home. Right. Well, and, and here's the, here's the thing that ha- my, my inbox is always hit with pastors going, you know, 
you know, howling basically yeah. you give the example of like when you throw the rock into a group of, of wolves, the one that houses when they got hit, there's a lot of pastors where I'm just going like, why are you howling about this yeah. specific thing? And, and again, like even down, so a, a pastor last night, you know, uh, I, I said something about broad brushing everybody who's outside the IFB and he's like, well, have you looked at your username? You know, and my, my name on Twitter, it says, stop, stop IFB abuse in like, I read that and I was like, well, my goal is stopping abuse within the independent Baptist world. If you're an independent Baptist pastor, you probably should want abuse not to happen in your church. That was my response to him. And again, I could understand if if my podcast name was stop the IFB or stop Mm -hmm. or or shut down all IFB churches, you know, at that point, you're probably going to get a little bit defensive. Cause I'm going after your theology, your church, your, all these different things. When I'm saying stop IFB abuse, the IFB is not the, the noun I'm stopping. Like it's an, it's a description of where the abuse is happening. So stop, like, again, get rid of the IFB section, like let's stop abuse. And if it's happening yeah. within churches, like the ones I grew up in, which is why I focus on it. It's because it's the one I'm mm-hmm. familiar with. I didn't grow up in a Catholic church. I didn't grow up in you know, Jehovah's witness, I grew up in IFB. So like, let's talk about the abuse that we're familiar with. We see and try to do our best to clean up this, this part of it. And, oh no, we're only six minutes into this. (laughs) (laughs) We have to say that just like we talked about last week, it's okay for us to confess these things. And if we're going to claim that IFB heritage, even though we are an independent church, we do claim to have an IFB heritage. We do use that term. And this blows me away that he admits this, that there is that communal nature to it. Another thing we need to understand, something we need to understand about David here is that David was a king and not a pastor. Okay. I hate whenever pastors mess up and then they bring up David. And here's the thing too. This just irritates me. They'll go and they mess up. And then, you know, you got people like me, we're down on them. That guy's scum, you know, death penalty, uh, you know, at least throw him out of his church, something like that. Okay. But, but either way, they always want to bring up David. Okay. And, and that's code for, I should still get to keep pastoring. But it's like, well, you know what? David did pay fourfold. David did lose four of his children. David had battles in his house the rest of his life because of this kind of thing. And so, yeah, just because God didn't kill David doesn't mean that David got off scot-free. And so these people want to say, what about David? Well, here's the thing. You claim to be a preacher of the word. Why didn't you learn the lesson from David? And again, what makes you think you just get off scot-free? That's not how this works. Fine. You live in America. You won't get the death penalty anyway, but you should still have your dirty carcass thrown in prison for the rest of your life, at least. But they do. And here's the thing too. Pastors are not kings. You understand that we are not kings over a physical nation. Okay, this is probably going to go into next week's message, but pastors are not kings. Okay, we are just pastors. We're shepherds. Okay, we can be replaced. We don't have a covenant on us like God gave David that the kingdom was going to be in his house forever. Okay, when I became pastor of this church, God, God didn't make a covenant with me saying Liberty Baptist Church will be in your family's name forever. No, that, that's, that's not how it is for pastors. I can be replaced. And I, you know, you hate to admit that kind of thing, but you know what? Every pastor needs to admit they can be replaced. At least you should be able to be replaced. You know, if you've, and, and one of there's, there's a really good point there. And 
I have to hand it to Tommy. I, I got to admit, I missed this one last night when I watched it. Um, I got to hand it to him on this one because I can't tell you how many times I've heard and you get, you know, you hear the scripture that the uh, pastor is the final authority and, you know, he hits the nail on the head and a lot of pastors need to take note of this. Now he may contradict himself by his actions. Uh, but you know, I don't know Tommy, you know, well enough to know that hopefully he doesn't, but, uh, they aren't, if you find, you know, most, most IFB pastors, unfortunately act more like mob bosses than they do guidance counselors. Mm. And you should be, your role as a pastor is a guidance counselor. It's a shepherd. When was the shepherd beating their sheep into subjection? Show me a shepherd that's done that. Beat his sheep into subjection. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what, you know, a pastor should be. But unfortunately, most IV pastors run their churches like mob bosses rather than guidance counselors. And they put themselves up on this platform that they can never be challenged. No one can ever disagree. And we wonder why we have a huge problem. Tommy, I'll tell you just, you know, with set aside the spiritual abuse, the biggest problem I have in the IFB world is exactly what you're saying here. And I hope he expounds on this, you know, maybe in his next few sermons. Uh, but that's the one that needs to be preached loud and clear. I mean, how many times have we seen in the IFB sermon clips, these guys up there, you know, saying that they can't be challenged and that they should have a say over whether your children <laughs> marry each other or not, or touch not you know, God's like, anointed, you know, Jack. Yeah, Cooper, and yeah. it's just like, Tommy, why don't you preach more on that too and yeah. stop defending your IFB movement? It's a movement. Yeah. It's not ordained by God. It's not even biblical in most cases. And, you know, I, I just don't understand why are you so beholden to a movement that is 40 to 60 years of age? Like it's got a history all the way back to the Bible. It doesn't. I, I, you know, I hope that that will resonate with him if he watches this. But anyways, he has a great point here that I wish more IFB pastors would would uh, understand. Yeah, I do hope so. And again, I, I echo what I said in the last one is that I just I'm glad he's saying this, but also within churches, practically, there isn't a real way to remove the pastor. It may be somewhere in the Constitution. It may be. You know, maybe the deacons have, but in so many of these churches I've seen, the deacons are cherry picked people who are mm -hmm. yes men to the pastor. Yep. And, and that was Fairhaven. That was Fairhaven. North Valley. I've heard, I've heard it from yep. from people who are who know former deacons at at North Valley who got outed because they disagreed with with Treber. So it's yep. it's yeah, it's 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 something that I brought up, and it's actually something I saw Tommy post on Twitter. I don't I don't know if it was the last video that prompted it, but he asked like, what's the way to like write out an actual method for removing someone from a church who's in pastoral position. And I'm, uh, I'm curious to see if those wheels are turning. I hope it is with many people, like not just Tommy again, I'm not responding to this just directly to him. Like I hope other people who are watching, yeah. you know, are, are considering these things as well. One of my goals, I'll say it again, is to have this church where I could drop dead and everything will continue going just like it was before. If we have the right kind of church, we can do that. So, well, this, so, so why, when these people cover up, because a lot of people too, and a lot of you, you might not be familiar with the IFB world, okay? And especially a, a lot of people 
in the pews today are clueless about the IFB world because they only know what. Imagine sitting through the sermon and not knowing anything about how confused you'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's sitting there like their first church service ever, and they're just like, "What is goes happening? on in their church?" They're not keeping up with the politics and. Uh, they don't go to the conferences and the pastors' fellowships. They don't even know who a lot of these people are. So a lot of times, people in the congregation, they're not even familiar with any type of abuse that's ever happened before. So they don't know how these things ought to be de dealt with. Now, most pastors know. Most pastors are kind of in the loop on some things. And, and, and you know, and I've been on the loop. I come from a pastor's family. I've got a lot of preachers in my family. Okay, I'm in the loop. Okay, I'm going to name some names tonight, too. All right, just just you know, hang on. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some people that have been involved in cover-ups, and I'm gonna and these are people too. Many of them, probably all of them, gonna mention that people I've you know I've heard them preach in person, people I've met, uh, people I have been connected with. So I I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to these things. But I'll, and I can tell you firsthand, one of their biggest excuses for cover-ups is they didn't want to hurt the cause of Christ. Now, as Baptists, we got to have a verse, don't we? We got to have a verse for why we got to cover these things up and keep it as quiet as possible. Does anybody know what the magic verse is that they use? All right. If you don't know, ask Tom Neal, who wrote a stupid article after the Cameron Giovanelli thing. I, I forgot. I was going to have some of that and read it. That, that article is so bad. And Tom Neal, he's right there. Greg Neal's a son. They're, I mean, that is like cover up central. That is like pervert central. That's where David Hiles. Shameless plug. Uh, there's a video about Greg Neal. Just go on the channel. There's a there's an episode on it. Just type in Greg Neal Preacher Boys for more on that story. He goes to church with his Fallen in Grace Ministries. Fallen in, fallen in Grace Ministries. Okay, you fell. So I guess you're saying you fell while in grace while still saved. Well, I, I believe a saved person can fall. Um, can you tell us how you fell? Can you confess the sin that you did? Here's the thing, too, these guys, they don't, they don't ever confess anything. They don't ever admit to any of the bad things they did. You know why? Because their lawyers tell them not to or they'll go to jail. I so want to dive into all of this really quick, um, but I have to point out Fallen in Grace Ministries, for people that don't know what that is, that's actually David Hiles' ministry. Um, so David Hiles has been you know, incredibly <laughs> accused by multiple women of rape. Uh, he, you know, I... Uh, there was a there was a, 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 a multiple affairs, well documented, made national or uh, made uh, television headlines locally. Uh, you know, it, it was reported on many many times. And now he runs a restoration ministry. And just for context, uh, and again, I'll link to this in the in the show notes. Like David Hiles was sending, you know, having a relationship, extramarital relationship, as of like a year and a half ago. So th there's he's running this ministry where he's sending predators <laughs> to his, his farm and trying to teach them how to get back on track. And so you literally have a case of blind lean the blind. What's really funny about fallen and grace though, is how hard you have to dig to find anything about David Hiles. Like he operates it, but the only way to really know he's connected at all is if you start looking in like the book tab and you start realizing like some of the articles and books are by him. But other than that, he's kept his name completely off of this website, which I think is really, is really interesting. But Tommy's about to make a really interesting point about lawyers. Uh, and I, I definitely want to play this. That's why. And we're going to talk about some of that a little bit too. I've got, I got a lot of stuff I want to cover tonight. I got to, I got to try to stay focused. I've got so many <laughs> things 
on my heart, but this is me podcasting. I have so many things I want to cover. <laughs> I've got to stay on track. Here is the magic verse that they use from Second Samuel 1, 9. This is after uh, Saul and Jonathan die. And David, of course, he's upset. David loved Saul. And it's, he says in verse 19, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it. Not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Now, what is David doing right here? Is David giving a command from God that when something bad happens, don't you dare let the enemies find out? No, you know what he's doing? He's just lamenting the fact that the enemies are going to rejoice when they hear this. And don't we all hate that? You know, when the enemies are, you know, you know how many enemies we have? They would love nothing more than for me to fall. And... We don't like that, do we? But you know what? How about we just don't fall then? Obviously, you know, we get no, it, it upsets us when you see enemies of God excited about something. Yeah, obviously, we all hate it whenever a preacher does fall and you see the trendies practically rejoicing over it and using it to just bash everything in the eye of B. Which, which I want to address. Like, I don't get excited when people abuse somebody at all. And I think, I think for me, I think it, it, one, it proves the point of that. There is an issue here that's underneath the surface when it, when it rears its head, but also too, it, for me, that the, I guess, excitement in these situations is knowing that the jig is up. Like somebody who's been in ministry for 20, 30 years doing this behind the scenes, like there is a part of me when that when that goes down and they do get busted, where I'm excited that they're out of the picture now, that they're not going to keep operating their ministry. And and my goal in promoting the information about it is that they won't be able to slip back into ministry once they get out of prison in sadly 90 days or two years or however long the sentence is. Tommy throughout his sermon, I think, has to differentiate certain uh, certain topics, because I think he he just kind of puts a lot of things together in one big pile mm -hmm. or one big lump when they're actually very different. We we don't rejoice because uh, you know the church, the IFB church as a whole. We're not doing this because we want to attack the church. We want you guys to worship in whatever manner you please, in whatever way you want to do it. If you want to you know be a true blood IFB person, if you want to be Methodist, Mormon, we don't care. That's the beauty of the, uh, the, the country we live in. Happy 4th um, of July, everybody. <laughs> bingo. There's freedom. our 4th of July, uh, you know, reference, uh, freedom. Worship how you please. Go to whatever church you want. We aren't saying that the IFB church is the most crooked church in the world. And, you know, we just want all of the doors closed. No, we want all of the predators out of the pews. Yeah. That's what we want. Yeah. We and want honesty. We want transparency. Stop labeling us and telling us what we want. We're trying to tell you what we want. You're yeah. not listening because it's not what you want to hear. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the cases where there are, and, and this is why I make distinctions when, when you know, when I covered Bruce Goddard and, and his church, there are certain churches within the IFB that I feel like you know, I've said the statement, my gloves are off. When it comes to First Baptist of Hammond, when it comes to Faith Baptist and Wildemar, you know, my gloves are off at this point because they've had time and again where they've improperly handled these cases, whether we're talking about David Hiles or whether we're talking about recently Joe Joe Ayer or Joe Ayer when, you know, Faith Baptist Wildemar, you know, 
five, five or six cases now out of that church. Yeah. My gloves are off. Do I think those churches should shut down? Absolutely. Yes. When I see a, when I see a church like Stacy Shiflett's church, who I totally disagree with on so many issues and wouldn't personally attend his church, you know, when it comes to the topic of abuse, I'm very thankful that it was handled the way it was in that instance. And I don't hold that the fact that abuse happened when he wasn't there against him or against his church. It's all about how you respond to it. That determines well, behavior, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, obviously we don't like that, but at the end of the day, while we might feel that way, this is not a command for us to cover these things up because that goes completely against what God actually did when it came to David's sin with Bathsheba. So that's just absolutely foolish to use a verse like that, but they got to have a magic verse. That's the one they use. And that is just a horrible interpretation of that passage. So, cause it's a natural thing and we're all like this too. You know, if you have somebody that you hate that you work with and you get in trouble for something, you don't want them to find out, do you? Cause you know, it will bring them pleasure. Did you know that's, you know, we shouldn't have that attitude. We all have that attitude, but we shouldn't have that attitude, but that is exactly how we feel. We shouldn't sin to stop them from getting that good feeling. And I got, I got a sermon I could preach for those people too, that take pleasure in this about the Edomites or about the Ammonites who both got cursed for rejoicing when Israel was. So now we're not Nathan. Now we're back to being somebody else because of that. And you know yeah, isn't isn't it ironic how he themselves. just got done saying that they shouldn't be able to use it to substantiate their point of view, but then he goes right back to, you know, using the Old Testament. The broad it goes to what I it, other, it goes yeah. to what I say. That's like why I don't like it's camps, whatever though. we want to make it. Yes, yeah. it's, it's whatever just, we want to make it to be. Yeah, I, I, this is why I don't like camps, and this is why I don't even like you know, someone tagged me on something and, you know, lumped me in with like the recovering fundamental, like, and I get it, you know, like I, I'm friends with those guys, and all, but like, I don't even like calling myself a recovering fundamentalist or a, or a, or a, I don't like calling myself anything at this point. I don't even like saying like, oh, I'm an evangelical. Like I, I feel like I have to give so many pieces of context because there's so many labels that get misused. Yeah every group i just don't like camps and i can we stop labeling like when when as a when as a group of christian believers society conservatives liberals democrat whatever you know we're all in this world we're all in this life together when can we stop using labels such a trendy you know can't we all just get along well (laughs) yeah yeah why 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 is there this need to always have a label why you know what sometimes you can just say you know what i really don't know yeah but Baptists can't do that. It has to be black or white. There is yeah. no gray in the Baptist world, right? Which sets you up for some huge hypocrisy and some huge downfalls. But right. um, like, yeah. Anyways, all right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lone wolf. That's what I'm going to call myself. Guess now. what? <laughs> if we fall, our enemies are probably going to rejoice. Tough, tough luck. You just we're just going to have to deal with it. But you know, this was a massive error for them. They don't want the recovering fundamentalists finding out when they mess up. They don't want Eric Skorzynski finding out when they mess up. So just don't mess up. Take a drink. He said my name. Just know that if you do, they're going to be all over it like ugly on an ape. And so just don't I've never do it and you'll before. be fine. Because again, God disagreed with that interpretation. God said, I'm going to do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. That's what God said. God's not into this cover-up business. And so if there's a pervert in the church, people need to be warned 
for their protection. And let me just put this out there too so nobody thinks I'm picking on you. If you do something perverted, if we find out you're a pervert, we're going to tell everybody in the church. Oh, you, you shouldn't do that. You're, you're going to hurt their family. Listen, here's one of the reasons we have to tell everybody. Because one, everyone needs to know to stay away from you. You know, because one thing we don't do in this church, we don't shun people. When people leave the church, we try to let people leave quietly. You know, I don't put it out there. Nobody have anything to do with these people. anymore. We don't do that kind of thing. Okay. We're, we're, I'm not interested in doing that. But the fact that they were here, we got to know them. If, you know, it kind of gives you just automatically have a trust for people that you go to church with. And I mean, and how would you feel if I knew that someone was a pervert, even if it was like an adulterer? Okay, if you know somebody in this church is an adulterer, do you really want them around your wife? Mm. But yet, here, mm, I know mm, about mm, this, mm, but I'm trying to protect that marriage. You have something there? <laughs> oh, okay. So here, we're going to go back to convoluting and combining two different things, okay? Uh, and, and, and this by no means is me saying you should keep adultery quiet or expose it. That's between your church, your own individual church, and your own individual congregation. And I'm going to say this a couple of times because he does this a couple of times. But there's a big difference between two consenting adults having an affair and a pastor or someone in authority or someone in the church abusing an innocent victim. Hmm. So do not put in the same category perverts, predators, and adulterers. I'm not saying adultery is right. Don't take it to the other extreme. But what I'm saying is, is he does this a few different times. Do not, please do not convolute and combine the two. So what you're saying is adultery is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear. No, I I agree. And 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 it's, it's, again, it's, it's lumping. and, And this is what's so tricky watching these sermons is that it, it, it veers from, yeah, I agree to like this. And and again, I think there's a, I think there's things like adultery where, like you said, it's two adults making a decision. It has ramifications within, especially within a faith context, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be all of that. Again, it's going to cause ramifications anywhere, especially within a faith context. When it initially happens, you know, I, I think that depending on whether they're serving and all these different things. Yes. You do address it in a public matter. Do you 10 years down the road, find out someone had an affair 10 years ago and bring it before the church again or post it up somewhere? I don't think so. Do you do that with someone who raped somebody or who molested a child? I think so. And I would actually lean toward not having them within your church at all, but that's a, you know, that's again, a a long winded discussion. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I agree with the category thing. And I'm actually glad you brought that up now because that does play a big part in later on in the sermon for sure. You know, I'm trying to protect these people. I don't want them to deal with any more heartache than they're already dealing with. So I'm going to keep it quiet. And then it turns out they're messing with somebody else in the church. That's not okay, folks. You, that's why you just can't do this stuff. Just mark it down right now that if you do some kind of perverted sexual sin, we're going to tell everybody. And it's not because we're just trying to punish you or anything like that. It's to warn everyone. And here's another reason too, we've got to tell everybody because if you do something perverted, especially if it's something illegal, okay? First off, we don't have the death penalty in this country for this stuff. You know, we want you to die, all right? That's what we want to happen. If you're a child molester, you're a pervert, a reprobate, and a sodomite, you know, that's what we want to happen, but we're not allowed to do anything about that. 
So we would at least like to see your carcass in jail. But you know, it's often hard for the authorities to get the evidence they need to actually get someone put in jail. So the, another reason we've got to tell everybody is chances are, if somebody in this church messed with one person, they might have tried with somebody else too. And, it might and, and more often than not, that is the case. I just want to throw that mm -hmm. in. Like More often than not, there's not just one person. Which is why goes back to what I just said, you know, the distinction has to be adultery is not illegal. Yeah. Abusing, sexually abusing a, a innocent person is illegal. And it's so, a different type of threat entirely. Absolutely. So what he's, the dangerous part of what he is doing here is he is throwing everybody under a heading of perversion mm -hmm. that there's a bunch of differences with all of those different ones that you have to treat them individually. Yeah. You can come forward and we can get that dirt bag thrown in the slammer. And folks, we will do that. It will be our mission. If you ever hurt any of these kids around here, I don't care how much we love you right now, that love will turn to hate real fast if you're a pervert, okay? We train ourselves to hate perverts around here and you will become the hated and we will make it our mission to get you thrown in jail. And folks, I don't, I, I, I don't know what I can do to just express how serious I am about that. Because if you are a pervert, we would love it if you left this church before you did anything. And you go to some other church. Go to one of the trendiest church and give them a bad reputation. Don't go to our church and give that bad reputation. But I, I'm serious, folks. Okay, so I, I got to talk about this really quick. And I'm going to let him talk for a bit because he's going to get on a streak. But I, I asked Tommy about this specific clip. So I said, see, why say this? He said, because I'm tired of perverts making IFB look bad. If they're going to make a religion look bad, I'd rather it be a bad one. You have to admit that your site exploits these situations to attack all of our doctrine, or at least a lot of it. And then I said, I would never say, hey, if you're going to be a pervert, stay in the IFB. If I did, you'd be fuming. He said, the point is no one knows who the perverts are. And I was mainly saying, we just don't want them here. I don't want them in any church. I think everyone understood that was my way of saying, we don't want you here if you're a pervert. It was more of a backhanded comment toward your side, which again, I hate side camp a lot, who unfairly hold IFB accountable for all perverts, uh, which we've already kind of covered. But that was his response when I when I kind of pressed Tommy, him on Tommy, on Tommy, 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 Tommy. There's a, you can't, you got to be careful with these sarcastic, because I, 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 I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I honestly believe it was a throwaway line that he's yeah. being very sarcastic. I grew up Northwest Indiana, Chicago dialect of sarcasm. Like I, I, I kind of just chalked it up to that, but you have to be aware enough nowadays to understand that most people don't interpret it that way. And you have to be very careful. I'm not saying if you, if you feel, you know, I'm not saying that you just, you know, always talk about roses and flowers and all that you do what you, you believe you want to do. But if you're serious about putting your stuff out there and talking about this, You've got to be aware that those lines and those comments are offensive to a lot of people. I don't think that he's trying to be, but he's it's just a goober hurt. thing to say. Yeah, but he's, <laughs> you know, and stop trying to hide behind, well, I'm hurt because you're trying to destroy the IFB. Nobody is trying to destroy the IFB other than the IFB. You're doing it to yourselves. Okay. No. So stop trying to put that on us. You guys have had plenty of opportunities to clean this up. Yeah, I agree. Amen. We will do that. We will do whatever we can to get you th uh, thrown in jail. And we've got, so we've got to make sure we let people know. That's an another thing too. You know, obviously we want to be careful about accusations. 
you know, ah, oh, this guy looks like a creeper. And then you don't want to go tell everybody in the church that. But at the same time, if somebody actually does something that's questionable, you should at least tell me about it because it might just be a misunderstanding. It might be something that was just kind of random. But the thing is, if I have multiple people coming to me, tell me about this, then that's a pretty good sign. We do have a problem and I can address it. But you know what happens all the time? Whenever uh, somebody, after something big blows up, everybody comes forward. Yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. And the pastor had no idea. And it's like, so you know, obviously I don't want people tattling on me for every little thing. You know, that person made chicken when they knew I was bringing chicken and stuff like that. You know, don't tattle me on stuff like that. But obviously if it's something serious or if it, it could be something serious, you can talk to me about it. I know how to keep secrets. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, bring these things up and then, and just get, take that burden off yourself because, um, we don't want to take any chances on this. Unfortunately, it is a reality. The perverts are out there. They're growing more and more folks. They're not going to promote all the homosexuality, the all the perverts, perverts are out there in Hollywood and it <laughs> not have more an and more on people. The stuff is, uh, you know, they're I still want the trendies versus fundies t-shirt. And a lot of them are in church. church and and I've preached sure. on this before. I don't want to repeat this too. But one thing about sodomites, okay? And just let me clarify for the internet people, okay? We do not dignify the whole LGBTQ thing. Give them all their own letters, okay? We put pedophiles in the same category. Hold it in. Hold sodomites. it in. Let it ride okay? out They're really sodomites. quick. Let's just call them what God calls them. They're all sodomites, okay? So let's just, let's just mark it down. They're all sodomites, and we we need to make sure that you know we don't think these people can be reformed. We don't think these people can be helped, and so anything that you know you're able to to share and you know help with that, it can really protect a lot because sodomites want to violate the innocent. That is why they are attracted to children. That is why they are attracted to uh, churches. They love to prey on the innocent because they are predators. Okay? The reason you have preachers that will go and videotape women today in their office in a world where we have pornography everywhere that's so easy to get to, you know, why, why would they even need to do that? Here's why they need to do that. Because perverts, sodomites, want to violate the innocent. And that's why they do that kind of thing. And uh, I've preached on that before. Not going to rehash all that, but we need to understand this this idea too of you know accusations. So there's a lot here. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but again, this goes to the category thing you brought up earlier, which is why I'm glad you did. You you cannot group in all of these different things, whether it be sexual assault, whether it be voyeurism, whether it be child abuse, like. You, you cannot group all that in with consensual acts. Again, one thing is a act of rape against a child who's defenseless versus one thing is a consensual act between two people making a decision together. Those are two different categories. <laughs> and, and his statement, again, these are throwaway statements that when you examine them, don't make any sense. His statements of, I'm going to call them what God calls them, put them in the same boat. Show me the verse in which a pedophile and a gay couple are grouped together. 
I don't see that. Like even within that definition, he took the definition that they want to use in the Bible and then broadened it to include other people. And this is, this is, this is what I'm talking about. If you're wanting to do it about perversions of the flesh and I'm doing air quotes, you know, because that's what they want to call this. Well, the Bible says that uh, it also includes, you know, adultery, uh, thoughts, uh, a man's thoughts in his mind. Uh, you know, the list can go on and on. Why liars, are we including disobedient those? to liars, parents. disobedient? <laughs> like, why yeah. do we conveniently leave those out of the same condemnation? When you're saying these things and you're putting out these messages, understand that the people receiving them probably are going to take them to more of an extreme than what you ever intended them to be. So on the front end, be very clear in what you're saying and think it through before you say it. It's mm. things like this that people walk away from and we should be out there killing Sodom. I mean, because if I'm putting the two pieces of what he just got done saying the last 10 minutes together, that's the message I'm going to take away from it. Yeah. And that's the danger of what a lot of these preachers go to the IFB sermon clips. What's the danger of that? A lot of what they say, well, the people are that they're li that are listening to them are going to take it to an extreme that those preachers probably never meant, yeah. but you are still well, responsible for saying it in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the concerning for me with Tommy is that I think his intent, you know, cause I asked him specifically about um, equating, you know, equating people that, that identify as gay with, you know, people that are, that are, pedophiles and, and all this. And uh, he said, non-consensual is a worse sin, but what makes a person a pedophile is the same thing that makes someone a homo. They're all people given over to reprobate mind and there's no helping these people. This is why they should be put down according to the Bible. Uh, the one who forces themselves on someone is far more dangerous, but they're both equally broken and beyond repair. I think all homos either are pedophiles or on their way to becoming one. Those beliefs don't make me popular, but I can't deny reality for popularity. So I said, I said not even in reality. <laughs> right. So I said, you think homosexuals should be put down as you would pedophiles. And he said, Leviticus 2013, I didn't write it or Romans one. And that's when I said, what do you do with first Corinthians six eleven? So again, my concern is that the, the, the belief system is in, he is saying what he means. And this is where calling these things out. Look, um, it, it is biblical to do this kind of thing. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. Now this, pass, this passage gets butchered quite a bit, but let me show you what exactly this is talking about here. And you all need to understand this too. This is something that you need to understand. It says in 1 Timothy 5, 19, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now I've heard all kinds of butcherings of this passage. Some people will say, well, you can't, accuse a pastor of anything unless there's two or three witnesses wrong. That's not what that's talking about. It says against an elder receive, not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So what that means, if somebody is going to come to you and they want to tell you, they want to accuse me of something to you, you know what you should do? Hey, before you spill this to me, let's get a couple witnesses. And you know what you do? You get a couple men in the church. You get maybe people who are in leadership in this church. And you say, all right, I've got some witnesses here. This person's about to tell me something really bad about the pastor. Let's hear it. Because an ac accusations, especially against those in leadership, they are very serious and they should be taken serious. But folks, there's not going to be two or three witnesses to a molestation. 
Y'all understand that? It's just not going to happen. If there was two or three people around, it wouldn't happen. And so you don't need to do that. Just if something happens to you, okay, and you need to tell somebody, if, you know, if it, because if it was me, what you need to do, you need to go and you need to tell somebody in the church about it, but get a few people, get a few trusted people, get a few of the men in the church. If you want to have some ladies there and some of the wives there to hear you out, do that. And let me tell you, because people too, it is hard to accuse. It's hard to people who've been abused and victimized. It's very hard for them to tell people about it. That's another thing too. We've got to keep in mind uh, something too. You need to prepare your kids too, because kids often uh, have a tough time telling people about it too. And you, and that uh, I might say more about that in a little oh. bit, but if somebody goes through all the trouble of gathering three people in the church to bring this accusation, it's probably pretty serious. And I'm not talking about them going and getting their three buddies in the church. No, I'm talking, you go get three random men in this church and you go and you, and they do that. There's a good chance that they're, that's, they're probably telling the truth and you probably should take that accusation serious. I'm not going to speak on this because I want us to move through this a little bit more, but I'm going to just insert a clip when I edit this, uh, Scott McKnight, um, Scott kind of breaks down how, how churches use certain verses like this to, to silence victims. So I was having a conversation like this 15 years ago. And, uh, I was talking to a, a woman who in a situation like this arose and she, she, I said, how do you think about this? And she looked at me and she said, Scott, follow the money. <laughs> I went, money, what does this have to do with it? And then she said, but by, she says, this is a standard statement in the business world. But she said, um, money and power go together. And she said, ask the question, who is being helped by this conversation? Who, so or this is my extrapolation. Who's going to benefit if we use Matthew 18? The church. The church has to be seen then as a group that's protecting itself rather than seeking the truth. A Christian response immediately looks for the victim and finds the wounded person and says, that's where we're going to shower our grace first. And that's what, uh, that's what I would say is to me, the misuse of Bible verses, for instance, I'll never forget, Laura, I think it was Laura, said to me, they're now appealing to 1 Timothy that you can't accuse an elder if you don't have two or three witnesses. And I said, this is ridiculous. How many men sexually abuse a woman in public so that there are other witnesses? I mean, it's almost never, right? The other side of this is the oddest irony of it was, I mean, it's the hypocrisy, the lack of insight, however you want to describe it, is we had at that time four or five women who were all telling a similar story. Is that not two or three witnesses? All right. So um, the use of that verse was done exclusively to silence the women. Who gained by the use of that verse? When I said, no, let's look at Deuteronomy 22. I put this on my blog. I know that 
the people from Willow who care about the Bible saw that and went, that's not helping us at all. So their response was probably, for some of them I know it was, that's in the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. And someone said that to me, and I said, well, when you quoted two or three witnesses, you were quoting from Deuteronomy. So let's stop with this Old Testament stuff. But the um, I want to ask the question, who benefits from that Bible verse the most? If it's the church, I've got suspicions. It is not divisive to critique sin. It is the calling of prophets to point things out. Now, I don't call myself a prophet ever. Uh, and I've had many people say that the, the, the blog post was prophetic. Thank you very much. I, I'm not going to claim that. But I do think it spoke uh, potently into situations where it needed to be spoken. Uh, something what I was said last week was completely misrepresented. But if some you ever hear that I did something illegal or somebody here does something illegal, you always go to the police about it. Y'all understand that? And trust me, I will go to the police about you if I hear about it about you. Because first off, I'll go to jail if I don't. And you think I want to go to jail because you're a pervert? That's the last thing I want to happen. I will go. I will go to the police, and you should do that same thing too. Here's why we bring these things to the church: because sometimes there's not enough for the police to be able to do anything about it. And as a church, based on I forgot what passage is in First Corinthians. The Bible says we would be better off having the least esteemed among us judge something than the unrighteous judges of the world. And so as a church, you all need to get to the bottom of what happened. Obviously, you're not going to exclude the police from it, but you all can have your own investigation too. And I promise you, yours should be able to go a lot quicker than theirs does. Theirs takes months, years. Uh, guys like Matt Gerald, who was a pastor that was, was a pervert who got busted, got caught and hung himself in his jail cell. That guy turned out he had tried uh, picking up a prostitute that was an undercover cop before and was like awaiting trial or something for it. And it had been like months before. Our legal system takes too long to deal with everything. And apparently there were some people in the church that knew about that. And it didn't get brought before the church. They should have taken care of that right away. But you know, they didn't. And that man ended up doing more things and, you know, thankfully killed himself and, you know, took care of business because the cops wouldn't have done that either. We don't have to worry about him anymore. But either way, uh, you've got to understand it's okay for you to judge these things. And if you determine, yeah, there's guilt here, y'all are allowed to get rid of me. But it's like churches, they want to sit around and they want to wait for the legal system to figure it out. Oh, we'll let them decide. Really? I don't trust our court system. I will use them because one, we have to. And two, because they are the ones who have the power to throw people in jail. We don't. They're the ones that have the power to execute people. We don't. And so we will always use them. And you need to keep that in mind too. Don't be surprised if someday, if, if I call the cops on you, if you do something perverted, I will do that. You don't like that? Go find another church where they'll cover it up. There's plenty of those out there. That's why we have to talk about these things. But this is not that church. So... Uh, let's keep reading this passage. So against an elder received not an accusation before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Now, sometimes people will take this verse and say, well, that's talking about those uh, who 
falsely accused and those who bring the accusation wrong, you need to call them out. Or sometimes people just use that. If anybody sins about anything, you know, we got to tell everybody about it. No, because look at the context of this. It's talking about against an elder received non-accusation. And then it goes on to say, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. So the reason they're saying not to be partial is because we might tend to be partial when it's somebody in leadership. We might tend to be partial when it's somebody that's the pastor of the church. And so when it comes to these things, when it comes to accusations and things like that, we need to make sure as we, as a church, when we judge these things, that we don't have any partiality, just like we would throw out a regular church member and turn him over to the police. You should turn me over to the police and throw me out too. That's what you should do if that happens. And then it says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. And when it's talking about the laying on of hands, I believe it's the same thing as the laying on of hands of the presbytery. We don't want to go ordaining people that are perverts, that are bad. We don't want to go putting our stamp of approval on people. We don't want to be using them in the ministry. People that are perverts, people that have these terrible you know, things that have, they've done in their past should never be in leadership ever, ever again. And unfortunately, too many churches are just way too, because again, too, Here's another thing the trendies don't like that we teach the reprobate doctrine. But folks, if the reprobate's doctrine is not true, why can't a Cameron Giovanelli get restored to a position in a church? Why can't Cameron Giovanelli sing in a choir? He said he repented. You know, who are we to say that he didn't? I mean, he says he repented. You know, he's the church obviously is fine with him doing that. So why not let him sing in the choir now? Okay. You know, cause we all know perverts don't get reformed. Now, why not? Why don't perverts get reformed? Why, why not? You know why? Because when you've been given over to a reprobate mind, hey, you're going to do those things that are not convenient. You're going to do those things against nature. You've been rejected by God. And those people are never going to be reformed. And so, you know what? We don't let guys like Cameron Giovanelli sing in the choir. Hey, we're not even going to let them sit in the church here. Some churches... You know, because they don't believe that they're trying to reform. They'll keep an eye on these people. I don't think all of them are horrible, but at the same time too, if you've got a known pervert in your church that you are allowing, everyone in the church ought to know about it. Just, I mean, even our world makes these people be, you know, um, be on a sex offender list. Why can't we have one in a church? Fine. You know what? You want us to have sexual predators in the church that say they've repented. That's fine. But we're going to put a picture of them on the wall in there. And we're going to say sexual perverts that attend this church. And then we're going to have a section for them too. A section that we don't clean, you know, that's, <laughs> that's real nasty and stuff. That's kind of roped off and we'll stick them in that corner there. And that, you know, that's, that's the pervert section. Cause you know, obviously we got to let everybody in church and we'll let the sodomites sit in there too with them. Uh, whenever we let them come to church. All right. Would that be okay? Would we all be, if, if we're going to do it, that's the way it's going to be done. But I'd just rather not do that at all. Okay. But, but if, if, if we ever get convinced that we got to let these people in church, that's how we're going to do it. And you say, if you do that, they're never going to want to come here. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Cause we don't want them here. We don't want them here. So, uh, and notice what it says there too, when it says, neither be partakers of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. If we are connected to these people, okay, you understand that we are a partaker of their sins. 
Okay? And, and so dealing with somebody in leadership, it's not an easy thing, but when we fail to do it, we are partaking. We are enabling them. These guys that have been busted before and they do it again, guess what? Those pastors that left them in leadership, they are a partaker in their sins. These repeat perverts that are out there. You've got guys like Mike Zachary that is still, I get it. The guy's a talented musician, but the guy is a pervert. We, and, and here's the thing too, you know, we've met the guy. I'm not just talking about people in random churches. My wife and I went to a music thing at Providence Baptist College. He was there. This was years ago. Um, you know, I met him. I remember shook his hand. He had that dead fish handshake. And we kind of thought he seemed like a homo. I mean, we, we did. We're, and we made excuses for him. It was like, you know, he's just a musical. He's the artistic type. We made excuses for him, you know, because, you know, we knew Brother Gomez would never have, you know, a pervert, you know, anything. and obviously he didn't know. But, but anyway, it ended up, turned out he did something there at North Valley. And then they just like, let him go. Okay. North Valley, they don't call anybody out. They still haven't called Cambridge even out, even though he pled guilty to what he did to Sarah Jackson, even though they covered for that guy, they still haven't admitted any wrongdoing there. And then what did they, so what do they do? They quietly got rid of him. He goes to West coast or he goes to Paul Chapel's church. And then something happens there. Now, at least Paul Chapel, and unfortunately he took it down, but he did like a blog post or something kind of talking, but he was kind of vague in there. It wasn't for sure what he did. So we knew something was wrong and he was upset in there that Treber never told him about it. And I remember there were some blog posts and things that went around, but they've taken it all down. Uh, and I, I don't remember all the details of it, but he, obviously this guy's a pervert. He was a pervert at North Valley. He was a pervert at Lancaster, but now he's at Lighthouse at Doug Fisher's church in San Diego. What in the world? When are these people going to learn their lesson? I don't understand Agreed. that at all. And, uh, and so understand <laughs> mm -hmm. that Jack Treber, when he relocates him and allows him to go over to West coast without telling chapel about it, whatever Mike Zachary did over there, Jack Treber is a partaker in that. Now I don't believe Jack Treber is a pervert, but I believe he's a partaker in perversion. And I hate to say that too, because I was like Jack Treber. I've heard Jack Treber preach in person. Uh, and I, you know, I've said, I, a lot of these people, I've been connected to them. I've gone to their meetings. I've listened to these people preach in person. I've shaken some of these people's hands. So uh, again, and if, if and but it, and all these things were before any of this stuff happened. But if I were to continue to go and to help prop up guys like Jack Treber and go to the meetings that he's preaching at, go to go to his church for things, send people to his Bible college. You know what I am? I am a partaker too. Because I'm putting my stamp of approval on that. You know what we need to do? We need to keep ourselves pure. We're not going to have anything to do with people like that. We saw it last year, the year before, at the Preacher's Delight Conference down in Jacksonville, Florida, where all the perverts go again, Greg Neal's church. A lot of the preachers took some heat for um, participating in that meeting. And I remember, you know, on, on that one live stream I did on, on Paul Wittenberger's show, we named every one of the pastors that were going to that meeting. And before that, a lot of other people had named them too. A lot of them were the trendies, but a lot of those guys backed out of that meeting. But you know, it was after they started getting heat, after it started hurting them politically. John Hamblin was one of them. John Hamblin, he was going to go to that meeting and then he backed out of that meeting. But you know what he didn't do? Okay. You know what he didn't do? He never said why. He, he never said why these, and again, these preachers are too quiet about this stuff, you know? So it's like, 
Did you not know before that he was a pervert? But again, this is where, and he even expresses this, the people that called this out were all, he calls them trendies. They were all people outside the IFB. They were all people who were pointing out, and that's what actually brought about change. So again, I struggle to understand what his concern is with what I do, with what Recovering Fundamentalists, with what IFB Preacher Clips, with what all these guys do. I don't understand what his problem is if that's what's getting the job done, if that's what's actually creating change within these within these actual organizations and at these conferences. You know, or are you just now, you know, deciding that it's a problem because the wind shifted politically? What is it? There's a lot of guys out there. You don't know where they stand on this stuff. You know what they need to do? They need to open their mouths and they need to call these things out. But unfortunately, they don't. I, I, I said I could name so many names tonight of a lot of things. And I keep losing my spot because I'm getting sidetracked on all this stuff. But we, we need to understand said individual churches in the IFB world, they are independent of each other, but we do empower certain pastors. We often kind of create popes when we participate in their conferences, when we send our kids to their Bible colleges, or even have them come preach behind our pulpits. And again, many people sitting in the pews and churches, they don't understand how all this stuff works. They don't understand when their pastor is gone and going to these conferences, that there's a lot of things politically happening there. And it does, it makes you look really good uh, when you have all these preachers coming to your meetings, when you're preaching at this place and they're preaching for you, it's all, it's all politics and it's disgusting. And I and love that Tommy's saying this and not me because he's from the inside of this and has no reason to lie or slant. Like when I say this, I get, oh, it's slanderous. We're independent. I'm happy at somebody who's within it that admits that that's how it is because you don't hear this from Paul Chapel or Treber, but it is very much the way that it is. It's absolutely disgusting. Oh, it's a hundred percent the way that it is. And I think it's, I, I think we even talked about this the, on the last time, two weeks ago when we did this, where these guys are all in their own little circles. And the problem is, is with the smaller, you know, the pastors of the smaller churches out in more of your rural and suburban communities is that um, they want to, and it gives them credibility. Like he's talking about to go to the chapel, to go to tree. I can't tell you how many um, ex-Fairhaven graduates for a certain amount of years, when they started finding out the systematic abuse, whether it was physical, sexual, or uh, you know, emotional abuse at Fairhaven, they didn't want anything to do with it. They're graduates. They want to have anything to do with Fairhaven. But then they found that a lot of the other camps, they either didn't want to be a part of for whatever reason, or they did, those camps didn't have them. It was amazing to watch these guys now flocking back to Fairhaven and now trying to send their kids there and ingratiating themselves with, you know, with, with the pastors of Fairhaven now. And it's like, wait a minute, I've got Facebook messages, text messages from all of you clowns that, uh, you know, just sat there and took a dump on Steve Dameron, Jeff Vogelin, yeah. Roger Vogelin and company. But yet... Now I see you live streaming their uh, youth conference in November, Empowered Youth. I see you, you know, sending your 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 kids there again. And I, what happened? Well, serious I mean, question. What happened? You got into a political, you know, you wanted to have this uh, credibility, and you're willing to give up what you know is wrong in order to have that credibility back because. Honestly, that's what's most important with these pastors is that they can have the label, 
they can, you know, tell people what they want to do. They want the position, they want the power and they want the money. And I think he's going to get to the money here in a minute, but it's, it's sad. And it's like, I, I get so frustrated. And then they look at me cause I'll call them out on it, you know, not publicly, but privately I say, Hey, um, what changed in the last couple of years? Because we've had conversations. You've come to me. I've told you, honestly, you've asked other people that came from Fairhaven. What happened? We told you honestly, we didn't lie. All of our stories were, you know, right, right on cue. You know, we didn't contradict each other. Like, you know, that it's wrong that these, that these men did some really, really, really wrong things. Why are your kids going there? Why all of a sudden are you trying to go preach at a college chapel there? Why all of a sudden are you kowtowing having the ensemble come to your church? Why all of a sudden? Why? Why? Like, why are you compromising what you know and admitted was wrong? Now you're back at their trough. Well, a perfect example of this is Bob Gray II. And, um, you know, Bob Gray II started speaking out when his dad was defending a lot of these guys like Cameron Giovanelli. He posted again, a very vague video, you know, saying, obviously we stand with abuse victims and, and all these sorts of things. He was doing some things with Stacey Shiflett, um, you know, in Stacey Shiflett's efforts to, to host some kind of conference and things about this, about, about sexual abuse. Bob Gray, the second made all these statements goes to, you know, is very vague. Doesn't call out his dad specifically. just makes a vague statement about supporting survivors. Hello, this is Bob Gray, the second. Very rarely do I come down to address any debate, any fight that takes place on social media. I do not mind taking a stand. I do not mind making what I believe publicly known. I just don't do it in this forum. However, this is an exception. The exception was brought about due to a recent um, set of tweets that have gone out that supported a former pastor who has been indicted and has been sentenced, and our court system handed down a sentence. That sentence, regardless of how you feel, was the final decision of the laws of our land. And I truly believe that there are some that have erred greatly in their tweets. They have come out in support of the offender, the predator, more than they have in support of the victim. I don't understand that because the Bible is pro-children. The Bible is very clear that if a child is offended, that the remedy for the offender is a millstone cast around his neck and to be cast into the sea. Now, we know our court system will not do that to an offender, but our court system does meet justice for the offense. And in this case, they did exactly that. I just want everyone to know where I stand. I, Bob Gray II, am not going to come out in support of a predator. I totally support not the alleged victims, but the confirmed victims. And that was very well established in the court on that day. Please know this to the victims that I cannot imagine what you've gone through. I know that there have been days and nights, there must have been, of tears, fear, and that this journey has been long and tedious. 
And our court system gave you very much vindication. And I would ask that you would just let the Lord heal you. Please know there's 7,000 of us out here that have not bowed our knee to Baal. And I would ask for those who are making it harder on the victims by supporting somebody who has been found guilty by our court system. Please stop. Please repent. And please change your tone. And let's lift up the victims and let them know there is healing inside of God and His grace. If I could ever do anything for you, please let me know. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for taking the time to watch. Goodbye. Is, you know, on the path to do this conference with Stacey Shiflett and then drops out of Stacey Shiflett's conference, goes and speaks at North Valley's conference a, a few months later, kisses the ring of Jack Treber like a complete coward. And I see guys like this time and time again, where they stay vague enough where they can float in between the Stacy Shiflets and, and they can float behind the scenes calling me privately, not Bob Gray, the second in this case, but I have pastors that call me privately and say, Oh, I support what you're doing. And, and it's great. You're doing it, but then they'll get on the other side of it and they'll kiss the ring of Jack Treber and they'll preach from his pulpit. And it's absolutely cowardly. And that's what I say. I, you know, I think I just like Tommy would say of me, I think Tommy's an absolute nut when it comes to a lot of these topics. And he would say the same to me. And I was ribbing on him in, in our messages uh, where I was asking him questions about this and vice versa. Um, but at least Tommy will say to my face, all the things he'll say from the pulpit. He's consistently wrong across the board and consistently right. in the things he's right about, and it doesn't change gears. When I see guys like Bob Gray the second, who are absolute cow- I mean, it's a reason that IFB Sermon Clips isn't on YouTube, is because Bob Gray the second reported videos of him preaching, you know, that were that were used by IFB Sermon Clips. The cowardice of people like that gets under my skin. Yeah. At, at least have the guts to say that I don't stand with survivors. At least have the guts to lay out where you're at instead of saying one thing vaguely in a video and then going and preaching on a platform of a pedophile protector. Yep. like Jack Treber and somebody who time and time again has stood against victims. And Just they, say, and they know, I don't support and, victims. And that's, and that's, that's the sad part about it is that they know these guys that want to kowtow back with the, uh, you know, the Fairhaven, you know, staff that's there now, like it hasn't changed. It was the same. It was the same clowns that were running the show back then. And as they are now, the son-in-law just took over. He was one of the main culprits in a lot of the youth stuff uh, that was going on. Um, you know, and it's just like, how in the world can you get up on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening or, you know, every time you get into your pulpit, look your people in the eye and with a straight face, not talk about not compromising. And, and you know, I, I just I don't understand it. And you wonder why people are leaving your movement in droves. It's because of that, because you're out there when it's convenient for you saying all of the right things about the abuse that's going on in the churches. But then you're turning around and your actions are saying, well, I don't want to be ostracized from all of the camps. So I'm going to go and I'm going to make up with, you know, whatever it is that I want to come speak at their conference or I want to come speak at their banquets or, you know, empowered you, whatever the case may be. It's cowardice and politics. Yeah. You're you're a blatant. Well, let's call it what it is. If if that's what you want to do, call it what it is. Because a lot of these people that preached and stood against abuse that are Fairhaven graduates went dead silent. 
when they found out my father covered up sexual abuse. Yeah. Dead silent. I have yet to hear from them. I have reached out to them because I've heard that they will, uh, you know, have, have had some things to say. Not, not one of them has reached out and said, what is your side of the story? But they'll get up and they'll preach a sermon on gossip and how you're not supposed to, you know, gossip in the church and you're not supposed to do this. Not one of them has reached out because yeah. it's someone that they really revered and respected and yes, they don't team. want to talk. All of a sudden they're going to talk bad about my party. Hey, you're a yeah. coward. You're a coward. Anyway, yep. turns going to each other's <laughs> church. So they can all get big love offerings from heart each rates other. up. And I, and I was literally, I was at a meeting one time. I'll name this guy too. Uh, his name is Joey Johnson and he's not in the, I don't believe he's in the ministry anymore, but I was at a meeting and him and I don't remember who the other preacher was. They were talking about this camp meeting they go to and they were talking about the big love offerings they got. He's like, oh, all I did is I just went and sang there and they gave me a thousand dollar love. offering. they're like bragging about these big love offerings that they got at these different meetings and stuff. And I'm just sitting there and thinking, this is kind of weird. <laughs> is that what's motivating these people? Is that why all these guys want to go into evangelism so bad? I mean, some of those offerings sounded pretty good. And, but that guy, not long after that, you know, it turned out he committed adultery and he had to get, he had to get out of the ministry since been divorced. I mean, folks, that kind of thing is horrible. And you know what? I will say this, his pastor called it out. His pastor, and, and I, I, I have a ton of respect for him. His pastor, I mean, it was a very close situation to him. He wrote a letter, so I can say this publicly, he wrote a letter and sent it out to churches all over telling everybody what happened. And you know what? God bless him doing that those are the kind of people i like those are the kind of people that i hang around and he did it when this was a very close situation to him and i don't want to i don't want to say more on that but i do i have a lot of respect he called it out publicly exposed it dealt with it god bless him and we need we need more preachers like him but uh there is there's kind of a it is kind of a big thing in the ib world where they do that they go around preach each other's churches collect big offerings it's it's not good so you know, but at the same time, when, when I'm bringing people in, it's a way to lift them up politically. When I'm going there, going to these meetings, it all, it's kind of a, it's kind of a status thing. You know, when you can show the pictures of all the preachers that are here at meetings. And so we're partakers. If there's sin, if there's wickedness going on in these churches, we're partaking when we partake in those meetings. So we've got to keep ourselves pure from that kind of thing. So we can't force another church to fire their pastor, but the truth is, if a church fails to deal with sin, they will be held accountable to God. And this church will be held accountable to God. If you all do not cover these, if you don't deal with these things. And so there are known pervert pastors out there that sadly still have jobs and nothing can be done about that. Judgment is coming for those churches. But here's the thing. When large portions of the IFB continue to fellowship with them, then they are now partakers and judgments coming for them too. And then we can't complain when we get lumped in with the perverts. If I'm out going to these meetings where all these guys are at, I can't complain when I get lumped in with them. Oh, we've never covered anything up. Oh, but you go to all their meetings, you promote these guys, you help make them look like big shots, you legitimize them by having them come preach for you, by you preaching for them. You're making them you know, look like something that they're not. So you're a partaker. So deal with it. 
when you get accused of being a pervert, when you get accused of being a pervert too. And so, you know, let me just put out this Amen. disclaimer because I don't believe the problem of abuse and cover-ups. I don't think it's as rampant as some seen. Because I, I, first off, I've never been a part of a church that had anything like this, and I thank God for that. You know, but um, and and I know a lot of pastors that have been doing this thing for decades and have never had anything either. But here's why that you uh, know of. I think it seems rampant because again, it's a lot of times it's the big names where this happens. Well, and there's and so, so many, it might be there's so many examples. Church. There's so many examples he's given early on that he can list where he's firsthand seen them or sat into their preaching. Like there's a lot. I mean, the fact that I can count on, you know, it takes more than two hands to count all the people I've interacted with who've been connected to this stuff. It's crazy with those people after they got busted. Okay. Because we've been connected to some perverts, but when they got busted, we disconnected ourselves from those people. We've had people that have preached here before. We've had people, pre we had one guy preach here before that's in prison now for murdering his wife. Yeah. That, and that's, that's embarrassing, but you know what? Why somebody laughing? I remember. I can promise you that right now. You know, we've, we've had people uh, that have preached here before, turned out to be bad people, turned out to be perverts. You know, I, I can say we didn't know. But you know what? Now we do know, and they're not coming back. So you, you, know, you can forgive people if it was something before anything was revealed. But again, a lot of these big names, there's still big names today. And I, and I agree. If you don't know, it's not your fault if something happens. Right. It's what happens once situation. you do know. So, mm -hmm. uh, but there have been enough of these kind of stories that it makes any story believable. And so, um, so even if our church never has had any of these things done, we need to understand that so if we promote these men in any way, we are a partaker and we don't want to do that. So, um, I, and here's another thing too. I believe one of the reasons we get a lot of attention in this area is because we're the most vocal against perversion. You know, it's not that satisfying when pastor trendy, who's always grace, grace, grace only preaches on the woman taking an adultery story. Whenever he turns out to be an adulterer, you know, ah, you know, people fall, right? But when it's the pastor that's up there, just ripping on everybody, ripping on homos and all that. And then he turns out to be a pervert. Everybody loves that. And as IFB, what are we known well, isn't for? Isn't that ripping on par for the course? Isn't that the, the territory that you've asked for when you yeah. take that? We should be doing like that. you're asking but for that. Like higher the platform, the farther the fall. Yeah. And, and, so and you see it. I mean, this happens within quote unquote trendy churches too. That's what happened with yep. Ravi Zacharias or with Josh Duggar, you know, or with, I mean, Josh Duggar's IFB, but, you know, with Ravi Zacharias or with Carl Lentz from Hillsong. Hillsong's getting torn to shreds right now. And they're very much the type of church he describes. I think this is. Not as much an issue as he's making it. Up here? I still got like seven pages. I love that he also. I love that this has really been a rambling, just kind of rant. But he has like twelve pages of notes. Like I want to see, <laughs> I want to see what's written out. Like are all of these statements just physically written out, or is it just a? Actions. Let's go back to Second Samuel chapter twelve. All right, man, alive. Time. Let me <laughs> take that clock down. But uh, let's look at this story that Nathan told David before he calls him out. It says, the Lord sent Nathan, uh, sent Nathan unto David. He came unto him and said to him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, 
which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. Did he eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom? It was unto him as a daughter. Okay, we got a poor man. He's got one sheep. You know the story. He loves this sheep. It's everything to him because it's all he has. And then here, somebody comes along and they take it away. Now, David, when he hears the story, he rightfully gets angry. David should have gotten angry. A story like this, where someone takes something special from somebody, should make us angry. And this did. It rightfully made David angry. What David didn't understand, though, is that he was the guy that Nathan's talking about, because that's exactly what David did. Okay? And you don't want to, and here's the thing, too, that this poor man being violated, it rightly made the king angry. Because this kind of thing makes God angry. Look what it says in second, or Exodus chapter 22, 21. It says, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wife shall be widows and your children fatherless. You, you want to know why pastors are covering these things up today. I know why I've heard these people talk. I've been connected enough. I've heard enough of these stories. You want to know why they all get quiet when these kind of things happen? You want to know why they get up and they read? They're going to read statements that a lawyer wrote up for them and this kind of thing happens because they're trying to protect the church, meaning the money. That is why they are doing it. Because there's a good chance if somebody on staff violates a child and you get busted for it, there's a good chance the church is going to get sued. And you know, we can't let that happen. We're doing so much here for the cause of Christ. We've done so much. We've got this multi-million dollar facility. We have all these things. We can't let these things be sacrificed. And so you know what we do? We, it's like we're sacrificing children to save the buildings. Now, folks, listen, I thank God for what we have. But you think about your kids for a second. Is this building is everything this church has of any financial value worth your child being violated? Are we really going to sacrifice your child? Are we going to redirect their future in a negative way? Allow something horrible to happen so we can save what we have here? I mean, I thought Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I thought he came for people. I didn't know he came for buildings. I didn't know he came for an organization. I thought the church wasn't the building. The church wasn't the organization. It's the assembly. It's the people. It's the lives. It's the souls. I thought the Bible says, what is a profit of man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So what are we, what do we think is going to happen? Are we going to try to stop justice from taking place? Are we going to try to stop that from happening so we can protect all this stuff that we have here? I wish the sermons had started we're here. Allow <laughs> yep. someone to I be done this was the, I, the whole thing. I, I think he just made a case why you shouldn't be a part of the IFB movement too. You know what? This should yeah. Be yeah. Go back and listen to that. Burn. It can all burn with no insurance money. Before we will let a child be violated like that or hurt like that. Because here's the thing too. If something happens, if somebody does something, we can't undo that. Y'all understand that? We, we can't undo what they did. But you know, we see that Jesus, he got very angry at his disciples when they forbid the children to come to him. We see that Jesus said, whosoever shall offend one of these little children would be better for him than a millstone or hang around his neck and to be cast into the sea. 
We know that Jesus Christ cares about those children and loves them. And so here's the thing. If something happened to one of your children, we can't undo what that pervert did. But what I wonder, and I don't want to pretend I can speak for victims. I've never been molested or anything like that, but I've listened to these people talk. I tend to think if a child was violated, because too, a lot of times you've got, you know what you have? You've got pastor or like a, a, you know, a high up youth worker, somebody that everybody loves in the church versus like a bus kid. I mean, what's that bus kid bringing in, right? He's costing the church money, right? Well, let me tell you that bus kid has a soul that's far more valuable than that pedophiles. And understand that child, what if they saw the church remove the pastor for what they did to him? You know what that would tell him? That would tell him that I am just as important as the pastor. That's what that would tell them. What if as a society, we did the right thing. And when these pedophiles hurt a child, we tied a real millstone around their neck and we cast them into the sea. And these kids were able to see, this is what happened to that guy who violated me. You know, I think that would probably be very healing for these children. If we did that kind of thing, but you know what they, you know what they see from the IFB today? They see the IFB shut up about it. They don't want to acknowledge anything. They get up and they read their statements. Hey, okay? and they had, uh, I want to read this to you that y'all mind if I go a little overtime tonight. All right. Tommy just changed the clock for me. I'm going off that. Okay. <laughs> Cause this is a typical IFB response. Okay. They had a video out there showing three different pastors. And I've heard two of these guys speak in person. I've been to meetings that, that they've been at. It was Mike Ray and uh, Jack Treber and Bruce Goddard. I've never heard, I've never met him in person or anything like that. But they were showing these guys that were all addressing things that happened in their churches. And I kind of made some notes about something that they all were doing. It was like they all had the same lawyer, probably David Gibbs, that was like wrote their Ooh. statements out for them. What these people are doing, they're doing it to protect all of this, all this stuff. They're not thinking about souls. They're not thinking about individuals sitting in their church. I'm telling you, it can all burn. I, I would rather it all burn before it happened to one of my children. And I shouldn't have a different attitude towards one of your children. So... These are just kind of some notes. I how do you feel so comfortable with being part of this world? First thing they do world, whenever something happens, these are not small leaders within the movement. This is like, these are like some of the biggest names within that world. At what point when all of your biggest leaders are covering these up, at what point do you just say this movement isn't for me? And I'm not saying that Tommy thinks abuse is okay. And he's lying right now. I think he legitimately, for all my disagreements, I think he really does. He gets fired up about abuse in a similar way that I do. But again, it's like, when do you say, I just don't identify with this, with the independent fundamental Baptist world. And the, and the reason I'm saying this again, I know it sounds like I'm saying, okay, all independent Baptist pastors are being duplicitous about this. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is why don't all of these guys who are good guys, when it comes to this area, just step out of it. Like I see the Stacy shiflets. I see the, and they're still trying to figure out. I, I see good. I saw it. But they excoriate the people who do. Look at uh, yeah. uh, Phil Kidd. I'm yeah. not a big Phil. I'm not a Phil Kidd fan. No. But look what happened to him when yeah. he yeah. took that stand. Right, right, and and all these guys. Like I, I saw a guy the other day. And he's still trying to rub shoulders with the North Valley crowd, and I'm like, if you're against abuse and you're going to call it out in some scenario, like 
At what point do you stop trying to force the puzzle pieces to, to fit? I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get sued, but you know what I don't want to do either? I don't want to ruin one of these children. You don't want to get sued. You I don't probably want shouldn't call out Gibbs. <laughs> and like all the stuff that we have here. Hoping I, I don't get sued. You know, we can start another church. Yeah, we can start all over. I'm going to start every episode with that again, clip. I, I don't want to get sued, people, but not the buildings, welcome to not the Preacher Boys podcast. You see, they like to talk about the things that they didn't know instead of what was really important. Like, what did they know? Because that's what's important. We find out we got a pervert in here, especially in the situation with Mike Ray, where the guy that he had to address was somebody who had done something perverted before, and he knew about it. And he didn't, the church didn't know about it. So what do they do? They get up and they talk about all the things they didn't know. Oh, I was, I'm just in the dark just as much as everybody else. Uh, that's kind of what they're, what they're doing. And obviously they didn't know everything, but that's not important. Here's what's important. What did you know? Oh, you mean you did know that he, about that, what he had done several years ago? And, and he's, he's got that, an know, that's, excellent that's point important. that I that's wish he would take. I wish he would take it further because I know you and I and other people in our side of the camp has taken this further. I wish he would go further and talk about the actions that these pastors have done to cover up the sexual abuse, the silencing of the victims, the, the getting the deacons on their side, the, you know, go through all of the stuff that these, that goes in, all of the stuff that's involved with the cover up. Yeah. But there's a big difference that, you know, hey, you know, your wife, loser. And don't say this side of the camp again. I'm not part of a camp. I'm not going to say it again. I'm going to boot you. I'm going to boot you out of the stream. <laughs> there's a big difference. Okay. If you have a knockdown drag out with your wife and you want to talk to me about it, I'm not going to tell everybody in the church about it. But if I, you're a pervert, we're going to tell everybody in the church about it. You're not endangering everybody with that. So that's just, that's just stupid. You just get up. I don't tell everybody else about your problems. How dare you think I should talk about this kind of thing? And boy, what that, that type of thing, it just makes me sick. They talk about how the devil is attacking their church instead of how a devil attacked an innocent person in the church. That's what they should be talking about. Our church is under attack right now. Who, who's attacking you? The police? For you having a pedophile? So back to what we said about place? putting themselves in as the martyrs. Oh, it's all those people yep. on social media talking about us. Well, you know, if you'd have dealt with it, they wouldn't. They would probably mm -hmm. never found Yeah, out. there shouldn't be anything to talk about. about. Again, yep. those At the end of the day, aren't hurting places like Calvary Baptist and Dundalk. But they, boy, they sure seem to be hurting these churches out in California. The pastor, too, they do this. They always make themselves out to be the victim because he has the job of dealing with these problems and attacks. Oh, thank I, you, Tommy. I know that would be tough dealing with that kind of thing if I found out about some kind of perversion in the church. But you know what? When you exploit a situation like that to get sympathy for yourself instead of the victim, man, I, I'm sorry, you... You're a disgusting person. You make me sick. Narcissist. And again, you know what? God already sacrificed his son for the church. We don't need to sacrifice any of these kids here for anyone else. Oh, we don't want to hurt the cause of Christ to stop people from getting saved. God already sacrificed his son so others can be saved. We don't need to sacrifice any more children. You know, the trendies don't like when I use some of these examples. Maybe they'll like this one since it's not about them. How is this any different than offering up our children to Molech? Like they did in Bible. Sacrifice, you know, we're going to sacrifice our children so we can hang on to our money and to this building 
So we can hang on to our reputation. I don't want to your next my t-shirt. We shouldn't sacrifice the children for the church. Anyway. So who mm. cares? But either way, I well, should write that down. Say, you don't have anything to lose. Well, that's good. I can keep, we can keep ourselves pure. You know, that's, that's more important. Proverbs 31, 8 says, open thy mouth for the dumb and, and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. We should be defending those who can't speak for themselves. And I'm telling you, it is, it's a sad thing. You have that poor family, you have that bus kid, and they are they're treated as second and third class. I'm telling you, I, I don't care if it's even somebody else. Any any child out there is worth their soul is worth more than anything that our church has. We're when something happens, we're not gonna think. How are we going to hang on to all this? We should be thinking, how can we make sure this person is not offended to where they walk away from the things of God and walk away from the house of God? Because you know what happens too, and this will offend some people too, but a lot of the LGBT people out there today are former victims whose minds were twisted by what was done to them. A lot of people end up going that direction after they get violated by a pervert. Do you want that happening to your child? Obviously not. So why are you coming out so hot and making before wanting to tie millstones around their neck if that's the case? Like this is this is this is where there's a lot of issues here. First of all, the the data and and this is one thing that bothers me just in general. There's a lot of things that are attributed to sexual abuse. So so whether it be in a very bad situation, one of the one of the, the lies that's said about this is that People who are abused will abuse again. That's the number one mis- you know, misconception about victims. The reality is everybody processes trauma different ways. And the data backing it being connected to one specific action is very hard to prove. It's very rare that you can draw a correlation between being abused and some specific consistent reaction happening every single time. So first and foremost, like anytime someone says, hey, most people who are abused do blank, Usually that's not backed by any real scientific data. The the idea that most people that are gay were abused as children is not backed by any actual scientific data. That's just not real data. The fact that most abusers were abused as children is not real data. The fact that most people who were abused are going to fill in the blank, you know, down the list of things, everybody's reaction to abuse is different. And again, anything that vilifies someone and uses uses abuse as the reason that they are doing the thing they're doing now and they try to play it as a negative all that does is hurt victims in general like the the myth that people who are victimized by you know victimized by a male so for for example growing up within an independent baptist world the idea that somebody who was you know victimized by a man is now going to be a homosexual which in independent baptist world is I mean, based on his description, the unpardonable sin, (laughs) like that's something you can do where there's no bouncing back from. Do you think that a young boy sitting in this service right now who is molested by a Mike Zachary type is going to feel comfortable telling Tommy that when they know that Tommy's going to sit there and go, okay, well, this kid was molested. So the chances are they're probably going to end up being a homosexual or in some of these churches, they're going to end up being what is a very serious thing. They're going to end up being an abuser themselves. Like when you spread this misinformation and these myths and portray these harmful ideas surrounding victims of abuse, like you are creating an environment where they're going to be scared to come to you and tell you that something happened. 
Like, well, and not only that, but it's now put in their head, oh, well, this is what my destiny is going to be because right. this is what other people do. And if you don't have it backed by data, and by the way, just because your college professor at Bible college said it was so doesn't count as data it's, uh, and doesn't exactly, mean it's yeah. true. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great research on, on a lot of this stuff. I mean, Dr. Kelly Palfi has been on the show. I mean, you've got uh, the book Predators. I'll, I'll link to a couple of these resources that give real data on this stuff. And the reality is there's a lot of responses to trauma. Uh, short, This doesn't tend to be one of them, but there's a lot of responses to trauma. And all trauma responses, as Dr. Jessica Taylor will say, all trauma responses are valid because you're experiencing an unnatural situation. So your response to it is going to be one that is not natural <laughs> in, in, in the sense of looking at it, it's, it's going to say, you're going to, you're going to feel like your situation and your response is uncalled for, but there is no natural response to an unnatural situation. That's just not, that's just not the case. We should have seen this kind of thing coming, you know, because, you know, we can't be a hundred percent on these things, but when we allow a pervert to be a part of this church, especially when we put them in leadership, we failed somewhere. We went wrong somewhere. And you know what we should do after that happens? We should go back and say, what were the red flags? What could we have done differently to prevent this from happening? I get whiplash from this but stuff because he's so right on about. so many yes, of these they, things. These, but these, so these statements, they always end to end with a lecture on gossip and well, minding your own business. This is, this is what I would suggest to Tommy is. Why don't why don't we have a con at the next conference instead of talking answer. about all of the, uh, you know, bashing all of the trendies? Why don't you have a class uh, on how to spot sexual predators, how to not make uh, your congregation a, you know, a praying ground for sexual predators? How can you make a safe space for like, what are the steps that we can put in place? What are the things that we can do? What are the things that we can teach our young people to, you know, those are the things that are important in rooting this out of the IP. If you're serious about this, Tommy, then you need to come up with solutions and action items to implement in your church and in other churches across this country. But the issue is you can't, and again, this goes back to when is the movement, when are you going to step away from it? Yeah, there's a couple yeah. guys that are going to speak out about it. There's a couple guys who are just truly independent, who don't see this stuff because they don't play the camp game. They're truly independent churches. But when you try to run these conferences, I don't think Stacy ever ended up having one. But when you have guys, and it was going to be Stacy Shiflett, and he was going to have Bob Gray II come out and speak about it, there was two situations. One, these guys don't want to have women in the pulpit at any event to speak about it. So you can't talk about female abuse at all because the last person, as much as I appreciate stand on abuse, the last person that needs to be standing in the pulpit and telling people all the details about female abuse, it doesn't need to be a male pastor. Yep. Just like on my show. My, I do not need to be the person telling women how to feel and how to process abuse. I bring on women to talk through that specific situation because I don't know what it's like to be a woman within the church. And then beyond that, again, going back to what I talked about earlier, you can't fill out a platform schedule for these events because you have guys like Bob Gray II who are absolute cowards who will say one thing vaguely within a Twitter post, but then when it comes to it, and they have to choose between kissing the ring of Jack Treber and speaking in the pulpit there and getting all the money and credibility and attention that comes from that, or standing in a smaller conference talking about abuse, they're going to pick kissing the ring of Jack Treber. They're going to sacrifice mm -hmm. that, and they're going to burn all the bridges with survivors and victims because they're cowards. And a lot of the main leaders who would draw a crowd to a conference like this, 
who pack out sort of the Lord and preachers delight conference and North Valley's can't meet they're cowards. Like they're the Mike Johnson's, the Mike Ray's, the Bruce Goddard's, the the guys who have no guts to stand up and speak about any of this stuff. And then they're sharing a stage with a David Gibbs yep. who, you know, like I mentioned in my last video. Because it hasn't are, hit them personally. No. Well, well, they don't care. Or it has. It has hit their church personally. And they weighed the odds and they said, oh, this is a bus well, kid I'm, or, I'm, oh, this is a I'm woman. talking about their family. Yeah. Like, let, let, one of their, let one of their kids uh, right. this happen to them and see yeah. what their response would be. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, when it does hit their family, it's their kid is the abuser and they yeah. back them. Look at Tim Roll, <laughs> you know, like look at, look at Mike Johnson, you know, bragging about how him and Tim Roll didn't raise a recovering fundamentalist, but they failed to leave out that Tim Roll raised a pedophile. And is that Tim Roll's fault that his kid did that? No. <laughs> is it Tim Roll's fault that he covered it up and yes. tried to switch him off to a different church? Yes. Mike Johnson can brag about not raising a recovering fundamentalist, but he went and preached at Mike Ray's church right after the Mark Sack meeting happened and talked about getting through trials and storms. Like, come on. show <laughs> that victim how much we care about them and how much they, we love them. Okay, so there was everything one part in here. Did we skip it? Whoever There's, hurt them, I no think, matter who it is, even if it's I the I think pastor, we did. If you wouldn't mind backing it up, because it's the only thing that I had at the end them. that I wanted you know to address. Like, I had one thing I wanted to say. We'll We've messed up somewhere. We've gone bad. No, I think I think it was before all of this. To come forward and then, that's fine. He he makes a statement in there and he tries to go after the trendies uh, towards the end. And he makes a statement in there, something along the lines, and I'm not going to say verbatim, but something along the lines that we don't understand uh, abuse victims that we're using this as a catalyst to just attack the IFB. That, okay, you have something, you know, it goes back to what you said before. Uh, you know, you're just using this issue to take down the entire IFB. Well, first of all, you guys have done that well yourself you've taken yourselves down that being said um the people that understand this the most are the ones that are speaking out on this platform Hmm. we've either had family members that have been directly abused we've had um you know dealing with this if anybody knows what these sexual abuse victims go through it's us and that's why we're speaking out loud that's why we're saying what we did why we're doing this our side of the fence, you want to call us the trendies? Fine. We raised, thankfully to Heidi, over $6,500 hmm. today or this last week to help Nathan Rager's wife. Yeah. Tell us that we don't understand what special abuse victims go through, that we're just trying to politicize this because we just don't like the IP. It was a very cowardice way to come at us. It was a very um, disingenuous, um, and I hope that he really takes it to heart, that we know better than anybody because, A, either we've been through it or we know someone personally in our family and in our lives that has gone through this. We were the ones that helped them through these tough times. We were the ones that helped them out of the mud, that uh, helped them on their way. When the church wouldn't. And the church wouldn't. The church no. cast them out. The church ostracized them. The church wouldn't have anything to do with them. That that was the thing. That was the biggest thing that really. I, I don't know if he just misspoke and he meant something else. I hope and pray that that was. 
Um, but uh, yeah, if you could go, you know, back and find it, I don't know if you want to, but that was, that was the only thing at the end that I just really um, wanted to point out. No, I think it's valid. And I think it's a good, a good note to kind of leave people with is that the, again, this goes back to one of the things where I think his motivation in wanting to stop abuse is true. I do think, you know, based on my conversation, I think he hates this stuff, you know, and rightfully so. But again, when you won't hear the perspectives of anybody who's outside your camp, you know, he points out oh, people that have different theology or, you know, they're feminists or they're fill in the blank. The issue is like, nobody knows the ramifications of abuse more than the people who are coming on this show, who are victims, who are speaking out, people who are writing these books, people who may disagree with you on a million different topics, but understand firsthand the dangers and, and the damage and the repercussions of these situations. So you cannot cut out women from the conversation. You cannot cut out every liberal from the conversation, every atheist from the conversation. Like, again, this is a, a, a situation where we should all be able to reach across the aisle and say, we agree on this subject. And um, yeah, overall, I would say this sermon was a lot better than the last one. Um, I think he at least directed he it has. inward to the IAP a little bit. Yeah. But again, I just, I'm fascinated by Tommy, maybe more than I should be, just how how contradicting some of his statements are when it comes to understanding the issue and then going about how to attack the issue. Um, but we'll cover that, I guess, in his uh, his next sermon, which comes tomorrow as of this recording. So there you go. But awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michael, for jumping on. Um, I know this took, <laughs> took a while, uh, but I really appreciate you going through this with me and uh, and kind of talking through it. And uh, we'll definitely be back once this new episode drops and uh, and see what he has to say here in the next one. So he told me, just full disclosure, he told me through uh, through Twitter, he said the next one might be a little bit boring because he's got to set up uh, he's got to set up some things for the week after. But uh, we'll try to make it interesting on the next one. <laughs> so, awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Happy 4th of July. And uh, I will, uh, I'll catch you later. You as well. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.